CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Elizabeth Odette Bordeaux on our show today. Elizabeth started her first business at 17 years old, and as of today, she has founded three businesses. Her first venture was inspired by her passion for Ringette. After being selected for Team Canada for the World Championship in the Czech Republic, she started Camp Pulsion, a specialized Ringette goalie school. She also started a second company while studying in university, Ambition, which builds marketing strategies surrounding promotional products. Over the past years, she's been working on the latest startup, Welby. Welby allows senior living communities to deliver their residents a personalized and unique life experience to improve their health and wellness. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, Kayla. I'm extremely excited to be here today. Me too. Right back at you. So let's dive right in. What is the most important thing that you want our audience to take away from our chat today, Elizabeth? I think my biggest thing today is that there's never a good time. So you just got to do it. I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned over the past years and that I intend to continue to, to follow on in the future. Amazing. And I'm sure we'll, we'll manifest that lesson in, in as we discuss your entrepreneurial journey and see where you started. Uh, so walk us through, take us on this entrepreneurial journey of yours, starting three very different businesses um, and why you launched Wellbe to date. Yeah, for sure. So pretty much my first business, as you mentioned earlier, I was part of Team Canada when I was pretty young. And I started helping ring at goalies from all over uh, Quebec at the time. And then it became just too much. I had about 25 goalies that I was following on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I decided to start my first company, which uh, Campusion is pretty much, we, I, we had camps over the summer. We had um, clinics during the year and trying to help as many goalies as possible. At some point, I had 10 coaches that would help uh, goalies all over Canada. So that was super exciting. And I, I really enjoyed it. It was obviously my first startup, well, startup, small business um, at 15 years old, trying to convince parents to leave me with their daughters uh, was definitely a big sales experience. Uh, I was very lucky to have my family support at the time. 
but that was my first experience in business. It's still running today. Obviously, with the pandemic, we had to stop a little bit, which is extremely sad. But um, so that was my first one. And then the second one is is being in sports and and having run my camp, I knew a bit more about promotional products, like you know the the jacket, the the tracksuit, and the value of a of a hoodie. So joining university, I noticed that students were actually paying three times the price that they should for just getting a, a sweater that would have Telfer, the Ottawa, the Ottawa University logo on it. Mm. So I started uh, my second company, which is Ambition. And then what we would do is I would be kind of the middle person in between student clubs and sports club, and then making sure that everybody would get the right price. And that really helped me develop another type of like other skills that allowed me today to, to be the entrepreneur that I am but also put enough money aside so that I could really launch myself once I would graduate to, to risk it mm. and start Wellbe. And then Wellbe today, um, we are actually in the senior living space. And this all started a few years ago when my grandpa started being sick. Um, it, it became very, very heavy on my family. Like my dad would drive up to two hours a day to go check up on him. Um, and then we decided that it would be better to put him into a senior living community thinking his health would hopefully at least stay the same, if not improve. But sadly, it did the opposite. Uh, he was socially isolated and uh, he passed away a few months later. So to me, that was kind of the awakening call of I had to find a solution and do something for seniors. And this is when I launched Wellbe. And four years in now, we're in over 100 communities um, all over Canada and expected to be in over 500 communities by the end of this year. So super, super excited. Incredible. And so Wellbe allows senior living communities to deliver their residents with sort of a personalized and unique life experience and ultimately to really help their wealth, wellness um, and their overall health. How do you actually accomplish that through your platform? Yeah, exactly. So right now, the biggest thing that I noticed when we started doing some research is that right now, the extension of the family within those senior living communities are called recreation teams. So you have the, the typical uh, knowledge of everybody knows there are nurses within the home, but there's also the recreation team who their job is to make sure that the residents are socially engaged or getting out of their room. They're not socially isolated and that they're participating within the community. But these people are literally overwhelmed. Like they're doing up to 30 hours of administrative tasks a month, um, piles and tons of papers. So for us, it was okay. Like they do a profile whenever a resident moves in, they will ask them some questions, but they never look back at those papers. And now you got to remember over a hundred residents' data and, and information. So with Wellbe, the second a resident moves in, we will help them understand better their residents, what they like, what they don't like, their hobbies, their past experience. Hmm. And then we will gather all this data and we will start making connection as to who has similar hobbies, who should they be introduced to? And then from there, we help them build a program that will really reflect their community. It's not just all about um, offering, I don't know, craft on Thursday every afternoon. It doesn't mean that if I'm running a community in, in Quebec, it's going to be the exact same thing that my community will like in Alberta. Mm. So for us, it was really guiding them towards identifying what their community likes, helping them build that program, and then being able to measure who's attending, who's not attending, should I go see John because John hasn't participated to anything and what can I do with John? And especially mm -hmm. with COVID, it obviously got even more important as people couldn't have their family visit. 
Of course. And, you know, Wellbe has seen such a dramatic uptick in demand for, you know, the platform during COVID-19. So I think there's, you know, a really incredible opportunity to fill um, such a void and such a gap, particularly with the community that you're serving. What does that look like? Really, you know, building um, and expanding during COVID um, with your product being more needed than ever? Yes. So the the biggest thing for us is we were very lucky because our team was already used to being able to work from home. Mm. So in terms of uh, the impact on the team, um, it was pretty good. Obviously, there is the the component of not having the social aspect that we all love and and we all miss. But uh, other than that, there wasn't too much adaptation that needed to happen on our on their team side. The other thing that happened though is that clients now realizing how important it was to uh, actually engage the resident because now they are in outbreaks. The residents are stuck in their room and. If I need to have ideas as to what does Mr. Jones like so that whenever I have my 30 minutes one-on-one with her, I know what to talk about. I know what was done with her last time. So it was everything about reporting that became very important to have well before. But also the other component that was very important is that now I, I need to actually have the time to meet with those residents. Before, I would do group programs where I could engage 10, 20 residents at the same time within an hour. but now. I'm actually running one-on-ones where I'm doing 30 minutes each resident or 15 minutes each resident. So I need to, one, keep track of it, know what to do, but also have that extra time, which Wellbe Mm -hmm. is providing them by, um, we're saving up to 27 hours of administrative time right now. So that's 27 hours that is now spent with the resident instead of in their office doing administrative paper and tasks. So. Yeah. That's compelling. That's incredibly compelling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know who wouldn't want to get Welby and save all this time. 100%. The, yeah, the decision's made to me. That, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. I'm sold. Um, so let's say, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, um, in your university time period, really saving up funding and really making sure that in your next venture, you had a bit of cushion and, and financing, because um, obviously that's something that entrepreneurs struggle with when building any type of business. In your space in particular, and sort of in the health tech space, um, when you launched in 2016, you had support from you know friends, family, from yourself, and you also landed twenty five thousand dollars in a funding round uh, in Silicon Valley in a pitch fest. Walk us through that experience. How did you land in Silicon Valley with this idea, and what was that <laughs> journey like in in fundraising for this platform? That was amazing. Actually, it was my last trip before um, COVID happened and everything wow. shut down. So I uh, this is even more meaningful mm. than than it sounds, but. Uh, yeah, so it's a competition called SoGal. And SoGal, what they do is that they have multiple um, competition all throughout Canada. And then they would actually identify winners of those competition. And then the winners would go and represent the country to Silicon Valley. So I won the um, the Ottawa chapter one. And we ended up being three going to Silicon Valley to represent Canada. And it was at the time... I'm pretty sure there was over 50 countries being represented Mm. for the pitch competition. So that was amazing. And it was all female or underrepresented founders. And we went on stage and pitched and we won. We were the first company in Canada to ever win an investment in the pitch competition. So it was extremely exciting for us. And from there, we've actually gotten SoGal to invest into Wellbe and they've been an amazing partner since then. And I strongly, strongly recommend working with them or just even attending their events. I know now most of them are online, 
but SoGal is an amazing organization that I would strongly support and recommend. Amazing. So there you go, listeners. There's a fabulous resource uh, coming your way (laughs) from SoGal. And do you have any advice based on that experience, you know, really honing in your pitch, talking to potential investors, navigating, um, you know, even the U.S. environment versus the Canadian environment? Any lessons that you learned that you think would be helpful for women entrepreneurs listening here today? I think the biggest thing is, is show why you're doing it. You, you've got to have a passion behind it. I, I don't believe in people just starting a business to just get, just generate revenue or just make money because what, it does get hard. Like as I feel like it's easy to think that the, being an entrepreneur or a CEO is very easy. And, and we obviously the picture that is painted online is different than the reality. And it's obviously a roller coaster. There'll be lots of ups, but there'll be lots of down. And that's why you need this passion or this reason behind why are you waking up every morning and why are you working late every night? Mm-hmm. And so if you have this passion when you're building your, your company, share this passion on stage. Whenever you're doing a pitch, everybody needs to relate to it and believe in you, especially early on. Most of the investors, they will tell you that they're investing in the person and not in the idea because they want to make sure that this person has the skills, but also the the determination to bring their idea to a business and to generate revenue. So show them why you're the best. Mm, Fantastic advice. I love that. So it's very clear, Elizabeth, through all of these answers, you're naturally very entrepreneurial. It sounds like this is really core to, to who you are. And pulling back on, on one of your earlier responses, I love that you've built these businesses based on really concrete interests that you've had in your personal life as well. You can really see that come to life in the businesses that you have created. Um, do you have any tips for entrepreneurs that are looking to start more than one venture over their career or who sort of aspire as this, quote, serial entrepreneur? Is this something that you planned? Is it something that happens organically? Um, I don't think you plan this because anybody that would tell you that would see that you're planning to have three businesses so early on would tell you you're crazy. Um, (laughs) It definitely happened organically for me. Um, That's definitely a word very hard for me to pronounce (laughs) in English. Um, But it just happened naturally where I, I just initially... Like I said, I, I just had too many goalies that I had to take care of. And it just made sense for me to to get other coaches to help me out. And then at the same time, I really like to identify issues or problems and then find solutions. So that's what led me to build my second one. Obviously, at the time, it was a bit crazy. Um, you can ask my husband today. I, I still don't know <laughs> how he survived through this craziness. But at the time, I, w- I was running two businesses, going to university full time. And then at the same time, I was running, I was president of two student clubs. So I still don't know how I survived this crazy this time. But for me, I just like to be busy. Um, but my biggest thing was always to take time to reflect on, okay, what's happening right now? Am I being way too ambitious? Obviously, I was being ambitious, but is it, there's kind of this fine line of way too ambitious where it's going to impact everything else that I'm doing. Looking back at it, I think there is obviously, I was doing too many things at the same time. I still managed to survive, but I had to put aside important things such as like my social life or, or um, you know, when you're in university, there are things that you're supposed to experience because after that real life happens. But instead, I you would just see me in, up until 3, 4 a.m. working on my businesses. So um, 
there are some sacrifices that needs to happen. And before starting another company or another project, I think the biggest thing that I now do is, okay, what am I supposed, what am I ready to sacrifice in order for this to work? Mm -hmm. And if I don't identify a lot of things that I'm ready to sacrifice, then I'm just not going to start the project. Um, that's been my biggest learning because it does get very heavy. And you also have this feeling of not giving a hundred percent into everything you're starting. So that's why now, um, with my camp, I have two coaches that are running it. So it takes me maybe 15 minutes a week to just check up on, on them, make sure everything is going well. And then I closed Envision because that one was, I still liked it because it was generating additional revenue, which was nice when at the time with Welby, I had no salaries, but I had to make the sacrifice of mm. closing it so that I could survive and focus on to Welby. And now I'm fully dedicated to Welby in the future. If Welby gets acquired or it, it grows to another level, which is the hope, obviously, and that's what we're aiming at, and comes time for me to have another project, uh, I will definitely look at this and say, okay, what am I ready to put aside or sacrifice? But who knows? Maybe I will have other startups in the future. Yeah. It's, it's such a great um, reminder that, you know, obviously we, we want to have it all and we want to be all things to all people, but it's not sustainable. And, and often, you know, conversations that we have on the Startup Women podcast, this scaling component is such a challenge that starting up is obviously very challenging and you're making these sacrifices and you're investing so much energy in building this vision for the future. That requires a certain amount of energy. But then this moment of scale and really assessing where where are your own boundaries and where are you potentially holding back the business because you haven't either expanded the team or you know service offerings or or thought bigger um, how have you managed that gut feeling of of scale and having to either bring in additional resources or seek external guidance um, as opposed to putting that all on yourself and making additional sacrifices as you mentioned how do you balance that that scaling moment and where you make the appropriate decision to serve the business this is definitely a hard one. Um, everybody I talk to, every entrepreneur that starts their business, you obviously, it's it's hard to, to give out tasks or some of your hats, as you say, mm -hmm. as we say, we all like initially you just wear all the hats and then as it grows, you then hand off some hats. And the it is very hard, but I think the biggest thing that I'm proud we did early on is we surrounded ourselves with amazing mentors. And up to today, in my network, I probably have about 50 mentors or advisors that I can call at any time that I've been there, done it, and can really support me. And this has allowed me to really put myself into a, okay, this is where I'm at right now. What do you recommend? Obviously, you got to build this filter because if you get 50 different advice, mm -hmm. you got to trust yourself in the end and take the right decision, which I think is, is one of the hardest part of when you're growing a business that like obviously for me in tech, it was the first time that I was starting a tech uh, business. So for me, I was like, oh, I'm just going to follow everything people are saying. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't do this. <laughs> Trust yourself. <laughs> but um, yeah, surrounding yourself with the right people and then learning when it like comes a time where you will see and, and realize, okay, this is too much. I need to hand off these tasks with mm -hmm. my um, with my, my business partner, we often sit down and we go through every single task we're doing. Mm. And then we say, okay, is this something that I need to, to keep absolutely for now? Or is this something that is just overwhelming and I need to pass it on? And that's how we decide how we're growing our team. Mm. Um, because otherwise you can just get 
like you can just work 24 hours a day if you wanted to. I love that advice though of looking at it just with all of the concrete tasks, getting it all out on paper and really assessing, okay, here's the current landscape. Here's everything that we have on our plate. And then just taking it one step at a time. I think that bite size um, approach can be really helpful for entrepreneurs that might feel completely overwhelmed thinking, you know, I'm wearing every single hat and I don't even know what these hats are called, but you know, it can just be this really overwhelming moment for so many. Totally. And, and I think we're at a stage now in our business too, where it, it goes very, very fast. Like this one hat mm. can be filled very quickly. So that's why we really on a regular basis sit down and say, okay, which hat are we ending off next? And which one is going to remove as much work off our plate as possible so that we can really focus on, on maintaining the business. Cause, um, we're at 14 employees today. So there's still 14 employees that we need to take care of and make sure they're all happy and that we're maintaining a culture as we're growing. But we know that in the upcoming months, we'll probably be doubling our team. So we got to be sure that whoever we're bringing on will have the right responsibility and will remove off her plate some other tasks so we can focus on running the business. Mm. Saying it. I love it. And back to your, your <laughs> mentors and advisor um, component, you know, this is often um, a huge success factor for women entrepreneurs in particular, having these trusted advisors, having these trusted mentors. How did you find these people in your network? Are they all in tech? Are they in different industries? Um, are they, you know, people that you found 10 years ago, a year ago? Walk us through what that complement of mentors and advisors that you have in your circle. A bit of everything, to be honest. Well, to start off, Ottawa is an amazing ecosystem, like an entrepreneur ecosystem. Everybody is ready to help each other. I would strongly, strongly recommend um, wherever you're located, there's got to be an entrepreneur ecosystem that you can join and get get to know people and benefit from. So that was the first part for us is being in a, like obviously me being from Montreal originally and then graduating for Ottawa uh, from the University of Ottawa, my biggest thing was, do I go back? home to start my business or do I stay in Ottawa and then I had realized that I had already started building up my network in Ottawa and that was why I needed to stay Hmm. the other component is also being open-minded with whenever you're meeting people it's all about understanding where they're from what have they brought up there'll be a lot of people that wants to help you I felt like initially we were obviously it's a it's a cause that talks to a lot of people Hmm. they've all had issues taking care of their loved one I'm a female founder. So people will want to help you. You got to identify the people that will help you and others that will drag you down mm-hmm. and cut off the people that will drag you down. Take the ones that will elevate you. And then from there, it's all about being transparent. I think the relationship I've built with my mentors or advisors or anybody in my network is I'm transparent. There's no point of hiding things. I've seen a lot of students when I go to to events and they'll be like, I, I'm working on this idea, but it's a secret. And, <laughs> yes. oh, and this is, yes, because you're cutting off the opportunity of receiving help mm. from people that have been there and done it. And by being transparent, obviously, you don't have to disclose every single tiny details. But the more you're out there, the more you're talking about your idea, the more the word gets out, the more you can potentially get investors out of these people too. Um, or advisors, or they will just give you the the hint that you needed in order to unlock a lot of potential for your business. Mm. And that's actually a really interesting sort of uh, segment that I would love to go into a little bit in a little bit more detail <laughs> on you know security and the perception, especially within the tech space. Um, have you put 
put um, components in place to really protect your idea and your business? What does that look like from sort of a regulatory perspective um, and just an IP perspective um, on this sort of idea of, of things being a secret or trying not to share these fantastic ideas because everybody's looking for the next best idea? How have you protected the business? Yeah, so we obviously did the, the, the typical trademark protection on our brand and all this. But for us on our platform, it was mostly we needed to be innovative and we had to move fast. Mm. Uh, there, we were not in fully in health tech. Like I'd say our platform is in health, but not where we have something very, very big that uh, can be IP protected other than the usage and our recommendation engine and what we're doing with the data. So that's that's a way that we can protect our platform. But at, in general, for us, it was it's just about execution. And I actually heard one of my mentors say one day, you'll see when you pitch your idea in the, at the beginning, you'll see a lot of people will come to you and be like, oh, yeah, I had this idea. <laughs> and <laughs> OK, so where are you at with this idea? It's <laughs> easy to say, oh, yeah, I had this idea. The hard part is executing on it and doing it <laughs> and just taking the jump like <laughs> and doing doing the actual business. So um get out there, talk to them about it. And if people say, oh yeah, that's a good idea, I'll execute on it. Okay, then let's see who's going to come out on the other side with as a as a winner. And most of the time you'll see they won't even uh, do it because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I've had this idea. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was that. And then it was also execution and moving fast. And obviously initially when we were in pilot stage and developing our platform, we didn't put out there everything that uh, Welby was doing and what it looked like or or little secret components. Um, But more and more now we're opening it to everybody for sell purposes. And we know we're ready. And we know that compared to our competitors, we've got a very, very big step ahead of everybody. And we've got our clients that are using it right now. So that also helps. Amazing. And to your point earlier, you know, from an investor perspective, they're not just looking for the great idea, they're looking for the incredible founder and the team that's actually going to bring this to life. Um, And talk is definitely cheap that anyone can have any idea, but it takes, you know, a dedicated entrepreneur with that vision and that commitment to really bring it to the next level and make it investment worthy. Uh, So I think you're, you're bang on competition. And, and sort of the narrative of competition is helpful, but, you know, it really comes out at the end of the day, who's willing to put it all out there and really hustle to get it done. And competition is healthy. If you go to any investors and you tell them, I don't have any competitors, they'll tell you to go back because <laughs> that means there's no market. Exactly. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah, we I listen to pitches very, very often, and that um, can often be a, an area of challenge that they're, um, especially with students or, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs, they're nervous about sharing that there could be even a competitor, but that naturally, you know, showcases that you've done your homework. So it's, it's a part <laughs> yes, of the pitch. Exactly. Of course. Exactly. And at the same time, it validates your idea. I've, mm-hmm. I've heard like pitch competitions. Um, like I, I will always, always remember this pitch on Dragon's Den and this woman is, is pitching and and she's talking about how she's built a certain bidet or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the dragon goes, have you validated your idea? And she goes, yeah, all my family said they would be interested. And the others, I didn't share it because it's a secret and I didn't want anybody to steal my idea. And then the dragons to go, yes, but your family will always, always be there for you and they will never want to upset you. So you technically never validated your idea and spent millions of dollars building up this this platform or this uh, system that nobody will buy. So that's, it's, it's kind of a, 
it's even worse because you're not only not getting advice from investors or from potential advisors, but on top of that, you are not validating your idea. You're not getting pre-sales. You're not getting people hyped up about your product so that they want to buy it the second it goes out. I think it takes a lot of courage. So the, the market assessment and really, um, you know, assessing, is this a new idea? Are you finding efficiencies, et cetera? And being courageous enough to really look critically at your offering. Um, there is a, a massive hurdle here for, for a lot of entrepreneurs. It's a really excellent point that you're bringing up because um, I think it it is, you know, something fairly bold and you have to be willing to go out into the market and assess, oh, actually there is no market for this product. Let me go back to the drawing board and build something different or tweak this, um, which, you know, is, is an emotional sort of journey in constantly having to iterate. But that is the journey of the entrepreneur. <laughs> it totally is. And we had to pivot. Like our first two years at Welby, we were building a completely different product where we were mm-hmm. building, um, we would integrate with smartwatches and then detect whenever a change in the vital signs of a, uh, a care, like a loved one would change. And then we would alert the caregivers. And that's how we started Wellbe because with my grandpa's story, that was the issue we had identified. Mm. Um, but when we actually tested it out, we realized that it wasn't the right market that was downloading our app. It was going well, but people were 45 to 55 years old downloading our app when we wanted 65 plus. So we had to really, really go back into retirement homes. And that's when we noticed the issue was the staff. It wasn't keeping track of vitals and we pivoted, but you have to say goodbye to two full years of work. So it's hard to go out there. It is. The ego really hurts, but in the end we're here today and I have no regrets making that pivot. Mm, that is a, such a helpful comment. I think that's really reassuring to a lot of our listeners as well, that you most likely won't get it right on the first time. <laughs> that You know, you do no, have to go exactly. out there and test things yes. out and it's okay yes. to iterate and fail and go back to the drawing board. That's a part of this whole process um, to really getting the best end result. Yes. And get your user to guide the product. I think that was the mm. biggest mistake for us initially. We guided the product based on a one story that I have with my grandpa mm. and because of that, then you go out and you try to sell and you're pretty much pushing it down the throat of the client being like, no, I'm telling you, you actually do need this. <laughs> yes. um, as our second product, we literally built mock-ups with our clients. And once they approved the mock-ups, we were like, okay, let's go. We sent it to our tech team and then we developed it. And we knew right away that we had clients mm-hmm. before developing even one line of code, which I think is a big mistake a lot of people do. They will develop the whole app, mm-hmm. which we did initially. And then you realize, uh (laughs) uh-oh, nobody wants it. That is such a helpful tip, Elizabeth. And hopefully we'll we'll save some of our listeners a bit of time and energy in the the key recommendations. That's that's fabulous. (laughs) Uh, So any final words of advice, anything that you'd like to share with our audience before we sign off for today? Just belief in yourself. And and again, I'm just going to close the loop on what I said earlier. There's never a good time to start. There's My mom always, always told me that there will always be an excuse. There'll always be an excuse and, and you'll be always to, able to push it to tomorrow. So I think the biggest thing you got to do is just decide to do it today and just go for it. Could not agree more. That's your call to action, everybody. Get started today. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Drop everything you're doing and get started today. Amazing. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you for so transparently sharing your journey, providing such great tips. Um, And I'm sure this will really land and resonate with a lot of our women entrepreneurs listening today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much again for welcoming me on your show. 
Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.